0: I'm feeling a little nervous, a bit, little more nervous this morning because Alan and Stella are here and um, Alan and Stella were my very first house group leaders um, and they also uh, gave me uh, a place to sleep when I was homeless at one time. So uh, thank you Alan and Stella, lovely to have you here at the moment. And I was also thinking of Monica because um, one of the Monica's little acts of service that she always did was made sure that the preacher got a cup of tea between services. And now we have to go and do that ourselves. <laughs> um, but um, she was always good at doing that. So I'm guessing that many of you know a bit about Palm Sunday, don't you? Um, there's a donkey, or possibly two donkeys. Jesus on the back of a donkey, crowds with palms, shouting, cheering, a procession into Jerusalem. But I wonder what you think it is all about. It's recorded by all four gospel writers, so they obviously thought it was important. But why? Now, a wise preacher once said to me that you should be able to sum up The message of any passage in the Bible in one word. And when you're writing a sermon, you should write that word at the top of your paper. Yes, Sophie's been told this as well. At the top of your paper, before you write anything else. Um, So I'm going to set you a challenge to start with. Before we watch, um, well, as we watch the reading, as you watch and listen to the reading. Can you sum up what this Palm Sunday story is about in one word? And I'm going to say that the word Jesus is not going to be accepted. <laughs> you, I've been a Sunday school teacher. I know that, you know, in Sunday school, if you answer Jesus, you'll always get it right, but not in this case. So um, as you, uh, we're going to watch the reading on the screen And as you watch this dramatised version of the story that is told in John chapter 12, um, just think, what is one word that would sum this up? I also just ought to say that it's a slightly different version because I've taken um, a longer bit of John 12 because it's got the bit about Jesus' anointing just before the bit about him coming into Jerusalem because I think... They are connected. Okay, is it possible? Have we got the technology? technology? Brilliant. Brilliant, I'll get out of the way.
1: Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment, of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him, and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord! And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Sion. behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's coat. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, there reckoned. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world has gone after him.
0: Okay, not only did you get it, I think you got it in the authorised version as well. So there you are. Um, all right. Was somebody, has somebody got the mic? It's still here. Would you like to just do a little scamper for me? Okay, one word, only one word. What is that story about? Is anyone going to be brave enough to put their hands up and say, oh, yep. Yeah. Chris Higgins welcome back Chris oh no somebody else humility humility is that what you said
1: fulfillment
0: fulfillment
1: I was going to say the same
0: one more kingship kingship okay there's several sermons there come on Simon
1: I was going to say serenity,
0: serenity, serenity, kingship, fulfillment, humility, oh no, not the vicar, (laughs) anointing, anointing, okay, we might not cover all of those today, shall I tell you my one word, so you can keep me to it, my word is mercy, mercy. We will get round to that, and I hope you will see where that fits in later on. Okay, for John, I think this story is partly about majesty. Did we have that word? Majesty. Jesus as a king. Somebody mentioned kingship. Uh, Verses 12 to 15 of this passage in John chapter 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it has been written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. So this public entry into Jerusalem is a coronation procession, a victory procession. And most of those quotations that are used in that passage are from Psalm 118, which is a great processional song of triumph that the pilgrims chanted As they approach Jerusalem, open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. With bows in hand, we join in the festal procession. But other bits remind us of the prophecies of the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the rivers to the ends of the earth. So here comes the king. They are waving their palms, there are cloaks thrown on the ground, there are crowds following, there is cheering and shouting and singing. I reckon we are about to become very familiar with that in the next few weeks and months. Coronation processions to the Abbey and from the Abbey. And traditionally, processions like that had a purpose. I have no idea what the one we're going to see this year will look like. But it's not just to show off the power and riches of the king, but it also, in days before television and photographs, it was to let the people see their king so that they could recognise him, And acknowledge him. And that is partly what this procession is also about. Here he is, people of Israel, here is your king. Will you serve him and will you follow him? So there's something about majesty, kingship, in this story. But there is also something else going on in this story, as I think you picked up when you were thinking about it. Because this Jesus is a different type of king, isn't he? He's not leading an army into Jerusalem. He's not seated on a war horse. He's on a donkey. And somebody mentioned the word humility. Victorious Roman generals were awarded a triumph, um, which was a glorious procession into Rome with men and chariots uh, showing off their military might and their plundered gold and their captives following alongside. But this is nothing like that, is it? Jesus isn't a leader or a king like that. But he is seen as powerful. In this gospel, John, I I hope you noticed that from the reading in the way that we saw it. John makes a specific link between the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which had just happened in Bethany, and this procession into Jerusalem. Now the crowd that was with him, says John, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. The whole world has gone out after him. So that last sign of Jesus, that amazing miracle of raising someone from death to life, bringing a dead man to life and bringing him out of his tomb, well that had convinced many people that Jesus was not just a provincial teacher or a small scale miracle worker, he was the long awaited messiah. Surely only the Messiah could raise people from the dead. And perhaps many of them had seen it, had stood there as Lazarus walked out from the tomb and was unwrapped from his grave clothes. And perhaps many of them knew the family because they only lived two miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And notice that it is that miracle that had scared Jesus' opponents. His opponents in the Jewish religious establishment were now in open opposition and plotting against him. And how ironic and almost prophetic is that last phrase in the chapter from the Pharisees. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And if you read on in John's Gospel, you will see that the next thing that happens is some Greeks come to say, we want to see Jesus. Yes, Jesus is for the whole world. The whole world is asking after him. But as there is so much uh, in this story, there is yet another layer of meaning Um, John's gospel is rather like an onion. You take off one layer and there's another layer underneath. It's all like that. And that is to do with the word Hosanna. Um, Somebody uh, mentioned earlier on, I think it was Becca in the prayers, um, something about Hosanna. Hosanna, cry the crowds. Now, by Jesus' day, it's possible that the word Hosanna... Was a general word that was used to shout and acclaim. Um, But it comes from that psalm again, that psalm 118. And it means, O Lord, save us. So here are the crowd calling on Jesus, whose name in Hebrew means God saves. And they are calling on him. Oh Lord, save us. Perhaps they were thinking of saving them from Roman oppression, a return um, to perhaps that golden time of David. Or perhaps they were thinking in terms of spiritual and uh, healing and salvation. Oh Lord, save us. That was what Jesus was hearing as he rode that donkey into Jerusalem. And how is that to happen? Well, already there are indications that it will involve death and sacrifice. John, as you saw, links this triumphal entry into Jerusalem with the story of Jesus' anointing in Bethany which came just before, the day before. And that story is a story with a sense of foreboding. Mary anoints Jesus' feet as he reclines at the table. And this causes a dispute among the disciples, and that brings Judas out into the open, showing his discomfort and anger about the way things are going. And that would soon lead to Judas deciding to betray Jesus. So was Mary's anointing just a gesture of welcome? Or a thanksgiving for the restoration of her brother Lazarus? Or was it a sign of something more? As anointing is also associated with crowning and kingship, as we will find out. Anointing indicates being set aside for a specific purpose by God, a consecration to holiness, an outpouring of God's spirit on one person for one purpose. And the word Messiah literally means the anointed one. And here, Jesus sees that anointing as an anticipation of his death, because the dead were also anointed with oil. Mary has saved the perfume for his burial, he said. You will not always have have me with you, he warns his disciples. So there's something about a coming death here there's also something, just a little hint, about resurrection. Not least because Jesus is sitting next to his friend Lazarus at the table. Lazarus, who was newly raised from the dead. So, this is a story about Jesus, the Messiah, the one who is about to die. It's also a story about Jesus the King riding in majesty. And somehow we need to hold those two images together, the lion and the lamb, majesty and Messiah. But I did promise you mercy, didn't I? The third M. So um, bear with me a little bit while I just tell you a little bit about why I thought mercy was important. <clears throat> I think I have preached on um, Palm Sunday about five times uh, taking all sorts of different aspects of it and it can seem almost like a publicity stunt, can't it? Um, So here's Jesus, he's been in hiding, he's been keeping quite a low profile in Jerusalem. Suddenly, he's um, on a donkey, riding in, encouraging crowds to cheer for him. And uh, the different gospel writers put a different emphasis on this procession. Um, For Matthew, it's about fulfilment, fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, For Mark, it's about the blindness of the Jewish people and how they don't recognise Jesus. For Luke, it's about Jesus' compassion as he weeps over Jerusalem. And for John, it is about the true king of Israel riding into his city, facing all that is to come. For all of them, it's the start of this final climactic week in Jesus' life and ministry where everything is going to come to a head everything is about to be explained this is the week that changed the world now I have never really been comfortable with the idea that Jesus came out of hiding and set up an elaborate show just so that he could be seen and applauded That didn't seem to fit with the Jesus I saw elsewhere. And I think I've come to see it slightly differently this year. Because I now think it's an enormous act of mercy on God's part. It's the covenant God giving an enormous act of mercy. Bear with me a moment if you're thinking, where's she going with this? Um, the word for mercy in the Old Testament is heseth, and it's sometimes translated loving kindness or steadfast love. It is the steadfast, persistent, never-ending love of God that refuses to give up on his people, his people Israel, even when they turn from him or reject him or betray him or despise him. It is God's mercy that we see again and again and again and again throughout the whole of the Old Testament. That is the way he loves Israel and since we are now included in his covenant, that is the way he loves us. And mercy is a fundamental characteristic of God, part of his nature. He cannot deny his nature. Um, love and mercy, the essence of God. God is the father of all mercies, says Paul in Corinthians. And the whole mission of Jesus is about giving Israel a chance to recognize their Messiah and turn back to God. It is a mercy mission. And this is its climax, happening exactly as was prophesied, and the Jewish people knew their prophecies, here is their king, here is their Messiah, coming to Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, the crowd surrounding him and shouting for him. It is Israel's last chance to recognize and acknowledge him as the one they have been waiting for. And the tragedy is that most of them didn't. And that is what makes Jesus weep in Luke's account. Some shout for him now, but will be shouting against him in a few days' time. Others in the religious establishment, those who especially ought to have welcomed him, just see him as a threat to be exterminated. And as we shall see, the events of this week move inexorably towards Jesus' death on a cross on Friday. And many thought that would be the end of this story. So I want to end with the glimpse this story gives us into the mercy of God. God is always longing his people, Israel, and now a wider definition of his people. He is always longing for his people to return to him. And he is always giving them another chance. He is always sacrificially giving himself up for them. And continuing to show his mercy love as he promised in that covenant all those years ago. And we are those who have received mercy from God, who have recognised Jesus as our saviour and our king, have have walked across from death into life. But the Passover picture and remember this takes place at Passover too, the Passover picture is of God in his mercy making a way of escape and continuing to hold back the waters until everyone is across. That's what God's mercy looks like. He wants to bring all his people home. Jews and Gentiles, those alive then, those alive now, those yet to come. A few years later, the first generation of Christians queried why Jesus hadn't already come again. Because he promised, hadn't he, that he would come again. And that he would bring in that new heaven and that new earth that will complete and transform everything. And Peter said this. God isn't late with his promise to return. He is restraining himself because of you. He's holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. He is giving everyone the time and space to change. So, brothers and sisters, on that first Palm Sunday, God was waiting for us to have the time and the space to turn to him, and now he is waiting for others, many more that he is drawing to him. We are living in God's time of opportunity and we rejoice in that mercy and that love which gives us all time and space to repent and change. So Palm Sunday, the majesty of a king, the meekness of a messiah who is prepared to die for us. And the mercy of a God who gives us time to change. Let's pray. And it may be that as we were thinking about those who do not yet know the King of Kings you had somebody particularly on your mind and heart and if so would you like to hold them out in your mind before God, perhaps name them Lord thank you that we live in the time of mercy where you are still gathering your flock and bringing people to know you. And we want to ask your mercy on all the people that we know and love who do not yet know you as their King and Lord. And we pray in your mercy Draw them to yourself. Help them to see you as their king. And Lord, if you want us to be part of that process, would you show us how to share you with them this Easter? In Jesus' name, amen.